Um, thanks everyone for coming out. This is the panel on labor and the fight for single-payer healthcare. I'm Laura, I'm going to moderate um, and I'll introduce the, the two panelists. Unfortunately, our third panelist, Sean from Nisna, is sick and isn't able to be here today, um, but it's going to be a great panel and I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Um, I think that labor is going to be a central part of the fight for single payer and it's kind of impossible to imagine it succeeding at the state or national level without significant support from the labor movement. At the same time, there's lots of interesting dynamics within the labor movement with some unions being um, very supportive, in fact early supporters of legislation um, and others that are more ambivalent or even opposed. So. Um, we're going to hear from Jeff, um, Jeff Mickelson, who is a member of DSA and is an activist and organizer with the Campaign for New York Health and the New York Progressive Action Network. And then we'll hear from Laura Gabby, who's a member of the Carpenters Union and an activist with the DSA Labor Branch. So, with that, do you want to get started, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. So yeah, I do a lot of organizing with different groups, but mostly around the New York Health Act, which is our single-payer health care bill for the state of New York, and we'll be talking about that a lot more in a bit. Um, but actually, I'd like to begin by saying a little bit about my personal history with the healthcare care um, insurance industry, because it, um, I think, is an interesting way to frame this discussion, uh, specifically about the relationship between labor and single-payer. Um, Straight out of college, I uh, worked in the trades for several years, uh, briefly as a carpenter, um, but actually mostly as an iron worker, uh, union iron worker. At the time in California, there was a huge construction boom, and so I was able to enter as a, as a journeyman, because um, I was certified, and they really needed certified welders at the time. Um, and you know, by, by far, in my entire life, those were the best health benefits I ever had. Um, you know, complete coverage. I don't even remember if they were co-pays. If there were, they were very small, but they covered vent, uh, vision, dental, and whatnot. And so, like, you know, from a union perspective, I understand the importance of healthcare in terms of what it means to be in a union. Um, and <clears throat> that changed um, slightly when I, I went to grad school um, and. At the time at NYU, there was no graduate student union, but I uh, had decent health care even before that. But actually, I was there at a pretty pivotal time uh, because during the two years that I was there doing a master's, the uh, graduate students at the NYU organized and formed a, the, the first, and at that, and for a long time, the only union at a private university uh, for graduate student workers. Um, and. Uh, I wasn't around when they actually got around to the contract and they lost it for a while, but uh, you know, it was, you know, healthcare and the importance of healthcare to students was a big part of that conversation and a big part of the reason that we were organizing. Um, and actually that's instructive in its own right in that actually after I left, they, uh, with, with Bush and his appointees to the National Labor Relations Board, they lost their union for several years at NYU. Finally got it back during the Obama administration, but it's, it illustrates how precarious benefits can be even for people who are unionized. Um, so immediately after graduate school, I became a freelancer and for many years had no insurance at all. Um, I was incredibly lucky in that I didn't get seriously ill or injured, but uh, you know, it was a constant source of anxiety. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I just didn't go to a doctor for many years. That's pretty typical even today for a lot of freelancers. Um, even under Obamacare, it's pretty tough for us. Um, I did finally get, even before Obama came, Obamacare came around, I did get health insurance under, uh, by joining the closest thing that we have to a union, which is called the Freelancers Union, uh, which is not a union in a traditional sense. It's basically a healthcare pool, though, or was back then, right? They, for a while, provided their own insurance and even had their own primary care clinics, um, which was awesome, um, and relatively cheap plans. So for somebody like me, it was affordable. Um, Ironically, Obamacare came along and kind of destroyed that for the freelancers' union. Their plans didn't qualify as Obamacare plans, so they had to get rid of their own. And they still function not by providing their own health care uh, insurance plans, but by, rec by referring freelancers to health care insurers. So interesting relationship there between that, you know, quote-unquote union and the private health insurance industry. Now, you know, I'm on my own, basically. Sometimes I qualify for a subsidy under Obamacare, sometimes not, but no matter what, it's always a high deductible plan, changes every year, um, you know, I'm restricted networks and those networks are constantly changing. And so, you know, I've sort of seen the, the health insurance and coverage system from a lot of different angles as, uh, as, as a freelancer, as a worker, as a union worker, and um, I get how important healthcare is to the concept of being in a union. Um, and I think that's gonna be part of our conversation today. Um, but you know, the two common threads that came out of that set of experiences for me were that for me and for everyone basically, my coverage was tied to my current employment. And within that current employment, it was tied to whatever bargaining arrangement I was subject to um, if, if I was in a union. Um, and, you know, secondly, the quality of the coverage that I had um, depended in some sense on the, the size of the pool, the insurance pool that I was a part of. Um, in, in, a, in a union, especially a well-established union like the Ironworkers, it's a large pool and they have a lot of leverage and so they get great benefits. In a way, uh, you know, Obamacare is, is kind of a pool. It was at least intended to increase the risk pool and therefore uh, reduce costs and bend the cost curve, as they like to say. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, the, the sort of other end of the spectrum is when you're completely on your own, even, you know, not being qualifying for Obamacare, and then you're still just fending as an individual against the private insurance system, and it's, you have essentially no leverage at that point. Uh, and that's a situation that a lot of, a lot of people in this, in this country are still in, and uh, the reason a lot of people aren't insured, and a lot of the people who are insured are underinsured. They can't afford health care when they need it. So the New York Health Act, which is our state-level single-payer bill, is designed to address basically that whole system of problems at once. Um, so in other words, to bring all residents of the state of New York under one system, that system would be comprehensive. So it would cover uh, you know, for everything from primary care to specialty care to um, mental health to reproductive health vision, dental, you name it, if it's covered by any existing plan, um, whether it's government-sponsored uh, plans like Medicare and Medicaid or private insurance plans or union plans, it's going to cover everything that those plans cover and more. 
Um, one big difference, and this is a point of distinction between the New York Health Act and even the best union plan you can imagine, is that under the New York Health Act, there, there'd be no restricted networks. You can go to whatever doctor you want, whatever hospital you want. Um, and, and this gets back to sort of why I introduced my own personal history, those benefits don't depend on your employment status. You are covered no matter what if you're a resident of this state. Um, so if you lose your job, like many people, uh, even, even union members do, or you get sick, then you're still going to have health insurance. Um, so it takes that precariousness out of the system. Uh, this is all paid for through a central trust fund run by the state of New York. Um, and it's, the funding for that comes from a variety of sources, from the existing sources from the federal government, uh, the money we get for Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, and so on. Um, but also from uh, a new progressive payroll tax uh, on employment income and on investment income. Um, and heavily, at least according to the designers of the plan, heavily progressive. So the first $25,000 that you make, no one would pay any taxes on. So if you make less than $25,000, you'd be getting truly free health care. From there, it, it, it steps gradually up, but at a very low rate at, at, the, at the lower ends of that spectrum. Um, estimates from various studies have uh, predicted that somewhere between 90 and 98 percent of New Yorkers under this plan would pay less than under the current system. So essentially, if you're in the top 2 percent to maybe top 8 percent, you'd be paying a little bit more, but everyone else would be paying less than what you do now in terms of your premiums, your co-pays, your deductibles, and so on. Because, you know, one important feature of the New York Health Act, like the Medicare for All bill on the national level, is that it's completely free at the point of access. Um, so, you know, we can, if you guys have questions about the bill, we can talk more about the way it works, but that's uh, the bill in a nutshell. Um, from a political standpoint, it's, you know, we're, we're at a pretty um, pivotal juncture right now with the New York Health Act. It is, um, it has already passed the New York State Assembly four years in a row. And this year it was introduced with majority support or more majority sponsorship in the Assembly, again, which is great. Um, in the State Senate, it has never even been brought to the floor or gotten out of committee. In the past, that was because Republicans controlled the Senate. Um, now the Democrats, the Democrats overwhelmingly control the Senate, but we still have a lot of hurdles because a lot of those Democrats who even ran on the New York Health Act or who've sponsored it in the past have not yet sponsored it this time around. So we're currently at 29 co-sponsors in the state Senate. We need 32 to have a majority. And at that point, you know, we can start maybe, you know, pushing to get it out of committee and get it onto the floor for a vote, but that's going to be our first big hurdle is getting getting majority support, basically, and we don't have that at this point. Um, we do uh, have a lot of people who've, in, in the past, said they support it. Uh, like I said, a lot of people who ran on it, and the focus is on getting them on board. Another big push for the campaign right now, campaign for New York Health, is to um, call for and, and get hearings uh, around the state of New York, sponsored by the, by the Senate and by the Assembly, so that we can make this a public discussion to raise awareness for it and to raise uh, support for it. So, you know, in terms of pressuring legislators, that's a big part of uh, the push right now is to get those hearings going. Um, 
It's, it's interesting how the supporters and opponents of this are, are playing out. I mean, in some of those uh, people who fall on either side of that line are exactly the people you'd expect. Um, you have, uh, in um, <coughs> endorsing the, the New York Health Act, you have uh, a lot of legislators, you have a lot of unions, a lot of um, or grassroots organizations. You also have, at this point, basically the entire governmental structure of New York City. The mayor has officially endorsed it. Um, and last year, just at the end of the year, the New York City Council held hearings on the New York Health Act and overwhelmingly passed a resolution in support of it. So the city's on board, along with 19 other municipalities around the state of New York. Um, and let's see, 18 uh, community groups, nine physician groups, 10 health centers, 500 businesses, and this is important, I think, for our conversation today, 43 unions um, have, have, have sponsored or endorsed the New York Health Act. In fact, unions have been, both on the state and national level, at the forefront of this fight for a long time, um, especially the nurses' union. On the national level, the NNU, the National Nurses United, has been a... Um, the leader in the, in the fight for Medicare for All. And in the state of New York, it's Ben Neisner, the New York State Nurses Association. In fact, they, um, in many ways, uh, began this fight. Uh, more than 27 years ago, they went to Dick Gottfried, who's my assemblyman. He's, he's the assemblyman for this district. And, he said, and they said, hey, uh, you should get on board with single-payer health care. And... They convinced him, and 27 years ago, he started introducing this bill into the assembly. Um, so he's been fighting for this for a long time, but at, initially, at least, at the impetus of, of NISNA, and again, they've been a huge part of this fight. And in fact, Campaign for New York Health is essentially, you know, the, the, um, at least the, uh, the leadership of Campaign for New York Health is centered within the office of NISNA. Uh, but a lot of other big unions, 1199 SEIU, um, various communication workers of America, um, locals uh, have sponsored it. So unions are a big part of this fight in, in the pro column. Um, but uh, on the other side of uh, this debate, you have some of the expected uh, opposition. You have the healthcare industry, uh, uh, the health insurance industry, of course, um, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and the Business Council of New York. Now, those folks have banded together and formed this basically propaganda um, organization called Realities of Single Payer. And unfortunately, they've convinced a few unions to come on board with them. Um, some of the construct, uh, construction trade unions, firefighters, police unions. Um, so they've been, you know, I don't know if I, I get, in, in my Twitter feed, I'm constantly getting ads from the realities of single payer. They've been going to legislators to try to get them to oppose uh, the bill. Um, and they're, you know, they are a, at this point already a very organized, well-funded, and laser-focused opposition. So that is, you know, the, that's the opposition you'd kind of expect. Um, the the middle between those are, in, in some cases, straddling, straddling the line between the opposition and the support for this bill are a lot of the public sector unions. Um, some have actually come out against. Some are on the fence. Some are skeptical. Um, 
And that is an ongoing discussion between the authors of the bill and these unions. Um, there are some serious considerations, I think, for unions uh, with relation to this bill, things that I hope we get to talk about today. Um, but uh, they are definitely in the maybe or maybe even no column at this point in terms of support for this bill. Uh, so what are the issues um, surrounding this? Well, for, union, uh, for unions, well, issues they, that um, unions have brought up, I think, fall into a couple different categories. Um, one is perfectly legitimate, understandable, um, things that need to be addressed by the authors of the bill, and probably the bill needs to be amended to accommodate these things. Others fall into misunderstandings of the bill. Um, and some just fall into having bought into the propaganda um, uh, that's being put out by the health insurance industry. So cost is something that comes up. Um, is it going to raise, you know, I have free health care now. Is this going to raise, am I going to have to pay more under the New York Health Act? Um, are my benefits going to be reduced? Now, in both of those cases, the answer is pretty simple. The answer is no. Um, you know, the New York Health Act is going to be as comprehensive, in fact, more so than any union plan out there. And, uh, you know, if, if, in terms of cost, this has been manipulated a little bit by the opposition because under the language of the bill, every employer is required to pay for 80% of your tax bill to pay for the New York Health Act. Um, and so some union members have said, well, I have it free now, and now I have to pay 20%. Well, that's actually not, you know, almost definitely what's going to happen. Um, under current law, there's no, there's no statutory guarantee that your employer has to pay 80% of your health care. So in other words, under law, your, your employer is required to pay 0% um, of your health care costs, even if you're in a union. Your union has bargained for you to, to pay for, in many cases, all of your health care. Now, under the New York Health Act, they can, they can continue to do that, and they will continue to do that for your employer to pay the entire bill. It's just now they're going, instead of from going from 0 to 100%, they're going from 80% to 100%. So in, in a lot of ways, it becomes much easier for them to, um, to bargain for that uh, with, uh, with employers. Um, another issue that comes up uh, are what do you do with out-of-state workers? Because the New York Health Act covers uh, residents of the state of New York. Um, so what if you work in the state of New York through a union and you live in another state, are you going to be covered? Um, and that is a, a legitimate issue that needs to be addressed in the bill probably better than it has been at this point. Um, again, you're, there's nothing in the bill that says your union won't continue to do what it does now if you live out of state, which is to pay for the bargaining arrangement that you have through your union will pay for your health care even if you live in New Jersey or Connecticut or somewhere else. Um, in fact, you're gonna, it's going to be easier in many ways to bargain for that because, first of all, the employers overall in New York State will have to pay much, uh, a much lower percentage for each health care worker or, or for each worker than they do now. So if your employer is paying $20,000 a year for you now, under the New York Health Act, they'd pay significantly less. Um, and, you know, there are other sort of more specific ways that that could be addressed through the bill. That's an ongoing conversation um, and a legitimate one, I think. Um, another is uh, 
What about your retiree benefits as a union worker? You've worked hard for those all your life. What if you now have to, what if you now decide to move out of state? Um, are you going to lose that because you're not a New York resident anymore? There's actually specific language in this new bill to guarantee that you will, that, um, that this bill will not affect your retirement benefits. So if you've worked your entire life in this state under the current system, and you have retirement benefits, including health care for the rest of your life, you're going to continue to have that under the New York Health Act. Um, and then the last thing that I guess union members bring up is general skepticism. Uh, whether, it, and and I, I also actually think this is a pretty legitimate concern. Workers in general, certainly labor, organized labor, has been screwed um, on so many different levels over uh, so many different years that it's perfectly understandable to be wary of a big change, which is what single-payer health care would entail. Um, and sort of like, well, you know, I've got a great situation now. I don't trust the government to do it right. So, you know, I'm, until I'm convinced of that, I'm, I'm going to withhold my support. I think that's something that just needs to be addressed through, like, really thorough outreach and education um, as to what specifically is going to happen to individual members and to unions as a whole under the New York Health Act. And I think that's a big part, part of the, a big push within the campaign right now is to have those conversations um, to make sure that people are comfortable because, again, having had great health insurance under a union, I understand what it's like to lose it. And that's um, something that the campaign's going to have to address. So, you know, keeping that dialogue open, taking these uh, issues and concerns seriously, and addressing them potentially with amendments um, to the current bill are, will be important. But you know, there's a big role for, on the other side, for supporters of the New York Health Act to build within unions support for single-payer health care, to create a sense of solidarity between uh, union workers and workers in general and non-workers non um, in, in this uh, state and ultimately in this country, uh, they've, you know, unions have led the way towards so many of the things that we take for granted now, child labor laws, worker safety laws, um, you know, even that your employer would be responsible for your health care. I mean, the, the unions have always been at the forefront of that fight. It's time to make those gains that we owe to unions universal. And I think making that bridge in the minds of uh, of, of workers and unions as a whole is a big, important part of this process. Um, and by the way, one of the organizations that I work with, DSA, um, has a labor branch that's, I think, focused on that to a large extent, on building support within unions to, to help push for single-payer health care. Um, and the last thing is something that, you know, individual members could do right now, which is to, you know, write an op-ed, say, hey, I'm in this union, and maybe even my union doesn't support this officially, but I do as an individual, and this is why, and making that a public conversation um, so that it's not just, um, you know, coming out from one, this propaganda isn't just coming from one side, it's coming from uh, the rank and file within unions and from workers in general to say, listen, we want a better system, and we don't just want it for ourselves, we want, we want it for everyone. Uh, I think those are the challenges that, as a movement, um, we face, and specifically with respect to getting labor on fully on board. And I think they will be. I think I think labor will ultimately 
and not just the ones that already have, but I think ultimately labor as a whole will, will embrace this because it is pro-worker and it's pro-union. There are lots of arguments, we can get into them later maybe, about why for individual unions and individual union members this would be a much better system than the one that they operate under now. So, thanks, that's it. So my name is Laura Gabby. I'm a, a carpenter in the Carpenters Union. Um, so I'm I'm one of the unions that's unfortunately um, in New York State currently currently opposed to this. Um, I mean the the union leadership, anyways, um, not not union members. But um, so basically, I I want to talk a little bit to what I see is like some of the potential for rank and file organizing to, um, to be fighting for this or to address this, even in somewhat difficult circumstances where you know, some of our unions have already uh, jumped on, on board with, uh, with the employers um, that are opposing this. Um, so, I mean, you, you hit on a few things that, I, uh, that I'd, I'd kind of been thinking or I uh, was gonna say also, but um, yeah, so the, the public sector, um, the public sector has like always been, uh, they're, they're concerned in the era of Janus about, you know, about having sort of this bargaining chip in terms of, um, in terms of the healthcare. Um, so they're, as everybody knows, I think they're, they're now in the position where they have to come up with every single argument for people to keep signing up and continue to stay a union member. Um, health insurance is a huge part of that argument. Um, the private sector and the building trades, um, we to some extent have kind of always been in this position also. Um, it's a huge, um, having health insurance is a huge argument towards, you know, towards working um, union versus non-union. There, there are some places where you can get, you know, if, if you're a really skilled tradesperson, you can get a non-union employer to pay you a lot of cash, but you're not going to get, you're never going to get health insurance. So it, it's a huge, you know, it's it's a huge kind of benefit that, that brings a lot of people potentially into the union. Um, so as Jeff was saying, also the um, so the New York State Building Trades Council signed on with eight, 18 business organizations to oppose it in New York State. Um, realities of single payer, like you were talking about. Um, this. So it's kind of it's kind of an interesting and unfortunate spectacle to see the building trades unions sort of join forces with business interests. Um, I think, unfortunately, it's not it's not terribly uncommon, and there's some kind of structural reasons that this happens. Um, and I'm going to go into that a little bit later. Um, but I I kind of I wanted to make a point that this was. Um, this was a deeply undemocratic decision, so there was no, like in my union, there was no, there was never any discussion about this, never any debate, um, there was no vote on it, it's not something, and I, I know that we have a lot of members who, um, who also at this point probably, you know, have bought into some of the lines against single payer, and I've, you know, I've heard it myself, um, 
but I, I don't think it's a, you know, I don't think it's in any, any way um, like a <laughs> foregone conclusion with our members. Um, there's just, you know, basically been no discussion about it. So, um, let's see. Um, I think this, this signing on with, you know, with the organizations on uh, realities of single payer, um, it kind of points to the idea too that unions are somewhat in, in survival mode right now. So they're kind of, they're in this position of like feeling like they need to defend the very basics that their, their members have instead of going on, on the offensive and fighting for the entire working class. Um, so there's a recent, um, there's a recent win that I'm really excited about and there was very little news and publicity about and um, some of you may have read about it um, in Jacobin. Uh, Jane McAlevey uh, wrote about um, a win that happened in New York State on climate change where um, a lot of unions got together and, uh, and passed some really important legislation regarding climate change and it's sort of, and it's not it's not the unions that you would typically expect. It was it was actually spearheaded by the building trades, weirdly enough, which you know people think is uh, very conservative. Tr you know, is very conservative traditionally. It was the building trades, NISNET, um, the AFL-CIO, Central Labor Council, 32BJ, and SEIU. Um, they it it basically states that New York will get half of its total energy needs from renewable offshore wind power by 2035. Um, we obviously, this obviously, this shouldn't be the final say because we do need to move actually faster than that at this point. Um, but it's it's uh, nothing nothing like this has happened in like any other state up till this point. So this is kind of you know, uh, and we've we've secured fifty billion dollars in project labor agreements so far for the work. Um, and so so I think. Um, and I'm, I'm actively trying to learn more about how this came about um, because the article doesn't really talk about, you know, it was, it was just kind of like, oh, um, you know, these building trade, these leaders came together, sat down in a room and decided that they were going to do something on this, um, put aside their differences, and, and this resulted. Um, and they, they essentially set aside, you know, they decided we agree on like 90% of what we're trying to do here and there's like 10% maybe we don't agree on and like, you know, it doesn't address um, like fracking and natural gas. There's things it doesn't address but they kind of set those issues to the side for the moment. Um, so I, I'm trying to, you know, at some point somebody had to convince, had to convince them that this was in their own interest. Like it's, it's obviously going to create a lot of jobs for the building trades, but the building trades, you know, has traditionally, um, like, you know, opposed, opposed this kind of, you know, environmental measures anyways, with the fear that there's going to be some jobs taken away. Um, and I, I saw some of this, I was, this last week I was um, in Washington, D.C. for the National Association of Building Trades Legislative Conference, and at the national level, there's, there is this kind of opposition right now um, towards the Green New Deal or animosity towards the Green New Deal. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find out, like, what exactly cut through that for, you know, for these particular leaders. Um, let's see. Um, so, yeah, that was a little bit of a tangent, but the, the main point is that I don't think it's impossible. It's just that 
nobody at this point is making these arguments that it's actually in our own in our own self-interest um, to go for a single payer. Um, so the argument, I, I kind of went over this already, but the arguments that I've mainly he heard from my own union when I've brought this up or asked about it is that it'll take, some, take away some leverage we have in organizing, um, that people join the carpenters union to, to get health insurance, um, that they won't have as much of a reason to join otherwise. Um, however, it, it's a very flimsy argument, I think, when you start to look at it closely. Um, for, for one, and this, this is not great either, but we're not, we're not aggressively doing new organizing at this point. We're, um, we've sort of unfortunately taken this approach of more like organizing the employers. So the idea that the building trades has a lot of times bought into this idea that instead of organizing actual workers, you need to organize these subcontractor companies to go union. And you, you sell them on this with this idea that um, that you like it's called like value on display so you like you know union union workers um produce higher quality they work faster more efficiently and you kind of sell the employer to go union this way um and they have been able to get some work this way but it's clear that this isn't you know this isn't like a, a sustainable model in the long term um let's see um yeah, so it would also, it would, it would basically, having single payer would level the playing field much more, and you, you talked about this to some extent also, um, but so much of our, when, when we go to negotiate, a ton of our total compensation package goes into health insurance, and it's, um, it's by far our most rapidly increasing expense. Um, so it's like since 2012, um, I was looking back at our past contracts, since 2012, it's basically been jumping up $2 every single year um, to, for health insurance, which is just like an incredible amount um, to keep renegotiating over and over again. And it, it basically means that our, our wages stay flat and they do not increase with, with inflation right now because of that, that constant uh, jumping up. Um, this, so, in, in the building trades also, so we have to, our, like our subcontractors that we work for, we work, we work directly for a subcontractor that's under a GC. Um, our subcontractors have to bid, bid the work, so they have to, you know, they have to go with a bid and estimate how much the total, the project's gonna cost. Um, when they have to bid, when they have to bid with our insurance package, um, like our, our cost is just like tremendously more than the non-union is. And so that's, that's kind of where the building trades have, have you know, come with this tactic of trying to like organize the employers um, or you know, to go union. But it's, again, it's not like it's basically not working out for us anymore. We're, our costs are so much more above the non-union who can pay you know, they'll pay workers um, anywhere between 10 to $25 an hour in cash with no benefits. Um, our, pay, um, our pay is uh, closer to $50 an hour plus benefits. Um, some of this cost is made up in the fact that we, we do finish projects more efficiently or faster. Um, they don't have to hire quite as many workers. Um, fewer workers can do you know, the same amount of work. And the project also, 
Um, the fact that it happens so much faster means that a lot less interest builds up on the loans. So when they take out huge loans to, to build, um, it's, you know, it's a lot less interest building up, building up. But nevertheless, this is, you can see the pay difference. It's such a huge difference. It's not something that's like being made up at this point. Um, so, so single, I mean, so single payer would level the playing field in a really big way um, for for the subcontractors as well, because um, you know, like like you were saying that I mean, the non-union subcontractors would now have to be paying eighty percent um, of you know of the health insurance. We would be paying a hundred percent, but it's a lot. It's much much closer than a hundred percent versus zero percent. Um, let's see. Um, the other, I mean, another really important argument, so a reason that I think our, our members would be, um, would be or should be interested in single-payer healthcare is in construction, we, um, we lose our insurance all the time, so projects are short-term and temporary, usually. Um, you get laid off. Um, and if you're out of work for long enough, you, you lose your insurance. You have to, you only get insurance if you're putting enough hours in. Um, and basically every time there's a recession, the vast majority of, of carpenters and building trades people are, are out of work for a very long time. Um, the 2008 recession, um, I wasn't in the carpenters yet for that. I came in in 2012, um, but I, I talk to people all the time who will talk about being out for a year or more during that time. Um, all those people lost health insurance during that time. Um, so that's, you know, that's them, their families. Um, we, we had so few hours going into our benefit funds that we, um, even in 2012, after I came in, we lost our dental and vision after I'd been in for three months. I didn't even get my chance to go to the dentist office um, in 2012. Um, we, we basically had to save up money until we could get that back again. We, we now have dental back, but basically everybody hates it. Like it's like the worst, um, you know, they cover like just a handful of dentists that like everybody absolutely can't stand. Like everybody's always <laughs> um, complaining about it. Um, my, my local during that time compensated and uh, they, they negotiated their own kind of deal for dental um, separately that we, we pay ourselves. And like, I'm, I'm still paying that every month just because it's, it's better dental. So, um, so even, even in unions, it's, uh, you know, this, is, this has continued to be um, kind of an ongoing problem. Um, so you mentioned already, too, that um, 43 unions have signed on to this. Um, the, the kind of question then becomes, like, why isn't, why isn't it moving? Because that is a lot of support in the labor movement. And I think it has some, somewhat to do with the idea that the membership hasn't been fully engaged and mobilized in this fight yet. Um, for, and, you know, there, there's probably exceptions to this, but there's... The vast majority of these unions have kind of, what, from what I can see anyways, is have kind of signed on in this, like, a, you know, just a, a paper endorsement and not, not actually organizing their membership around this. Um, 
in my own union, we are um, we're starting a contract campaign right now. We've um, it's actually somewhat embarrassing. We've been uh, our contract expired in July of 2017. <laughs> um, so we've been. Uh, We've been without, they've been renewing our contract every month, but we've basically been without a contract um, since 2017, and there's been very, very little movement on this. Um, negotiations are closed door, so we don't know what's going on in those negotiations. That's kind of one of our main goals with this contract campaign is to get open negotiations where the membership can go and actually see and hear what's going on. Um, we, we basically started it this past winter. We had, um, we had like a huge, a big like sticker day. So we knew, um, like the, I'm in local 157 in the Carpenters. It's, um, close to 9,000 members. The, the biggest meeting every year is the, um, the Christmas or holiday meeting. Um, so we had, um, we decided to make up these stickers that just said, um, rank and file, uh, where's our contract? Um, and we, we, we printed out over a thousand of them and we went through all of them and not everybody got a sticker. So it got the word, and people, people were really excited about it. People were like, yeah, where's our contract? You know, like we're not hearing anything about it. Um, people took them, put them on their hard hats, went back to work. It, it, did, it did sort of, you know, even at my job, you know, my boss was asking about it. He was like, what, what's this about? You know, what's this like, what's this sticker about? So it kind of, it kind of got this conversation sta uh, started. Um, we've since been circulating a petition um, and we we're, we're planning, um, we're planning an action where we're going. So it's not open negotiations, but we we're planning some action where we're gonna show up when there is a scheduled negotiation and just bring a bunch of people out show up just to just to kind of say to the employer like look we're here you know we're we're you know we're going to start putting pressure on you um so what does this have to do with uh with single payer i i think that um so i think sometimes it, it can potentially be like a hard conversation to um to go to union members who are maybe worried about just like the, the bare minimum, like are we gonna see a bunch of pay cuts in this contract? Are we gonna see, are we gonna be losing things? Um, and talk about this like, this broader like social justice fight for single payer. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of like, a, unless you're already an activist, that's something that's like a little bit lesser on your mind. Um, but I think that there could be, potential to somehow tie this fight into our, our contract fight, given just how, how um, you know, how very expensive our health insurance is, how much it goes up each year, and how it's basically preventing us from, from making any gains, and like possibly means that we'll be taking some losses. Um, this is kind of the beginning of this conversation for me, I'm going to be totally honest. So like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what that would look like yet, but I think, I think it's a real opening to, to start having this conversation and to start making these arguments. Um, because from what I can tell, these arguments haven't been and like, aren't really being made at the moment for, you know, for why this is actually to our benefit or why, why it's to the union's benefit. Um, and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go backwards a little bit. I, meant, I actually meant to do this at the beginning to like, tell a little bit more 
um, about myself like you did and sort of how, how I started out in this. So um, if that's okay uh, to, go, <laughs> to go in reverse here. But um, so I actually, um, I, I went to school for public health um, ba back a while ago, um, 2006 to 2008. Um, there was a point that I thought I wanted to potentially become a doctor. I'm really glad that I decided <laughs> against that, um, that route. But um, I, I studied public health. Um, I came out in 2008. I, I liked some of what I studied in school, but I didn't like the side of it that was like the, um, you know, the sort of the policy end of it that seemed just like tinkering with the healthcare system or something like that. I was like, that's not where I want to be. Um, I came out in 2008 into the recession. Um, I, I got three part-time jobs because that's what was available at the time. Um, one of them had health insurance and was like a research job um, at a hospital. Um, I, I spent a couple years doing this. I had, um, I had a really high amount of debt. Um, I came out with $84,000 debt and was making like 30 or 35,000 a year and trying to live in New York City. So after a couple of years of this, I was just like, this is not, <laughs> this is not gonna work out for me long term. Like I can't even pay the, the bare minimum on my loan. Um, I also really hated the public health work I was doing um, just because it didn't seem like it was actually ever taking action on anything. It was very much like always like studying a problem and like writing something on it, but not actually like doing something about it. Um, so I, I quit my job that actually had health insurance in frustration at some point and, um, and didn't really have anything lined up and, um, and found out. Um, so I'd, I'd seen an ad on the subway for, um, for a program that helps women get into the building trades. Um, and I, I followed up on it. And, and it's, it's called New Non-Traditional Employment for Women and went through that program. And, um, and got into the building trades. So it was, it was also, it was kind of, it was in part, you know, in part for the money, in part for health insurance, in part because um, I, you know, I really didn't like what I was doing and wanted to be doing like a job that was, uh, that was physical. So that's kind of, um, it's interesting to me because I feel like I had like a reverse <laughs> path of you or something. Um, um, yeah, and then got in 2012 got um, got into the carpenters union and um, immediately got involved in my union and was kind of like frustrated by some of the stuff I was seeing going on in my union and got involved in like rank and file organizing efforts there and um, yeah and kind of the so. I feel like I've talked forever, <laughs> but am I going okay? Um, we have time. Okay, yeah. Um, so. I'm going to go just into two more things really quick. Um, so the, the two sort of major um, organizing efforts that have happened in the building trades in recent years, um, I, I think sometimes there's this idea that building trades workers aren't really activists or can't, like, can't be moved into this realm. But I think it's pretty clearly been demonstrated, fortunately, here in New York City that that's actually not the case. Um, the first sort of building trades-wide organizing effort I got involved in was um, a few years ago. Um, we were trying to pass stronger safety legislation. Um, and 
a group of, um, and this, this was actually really cool, a, a group of rank and filers came up with the idea of having um, like candlelight vigils outside of every time that, and this is, it's really morbid and depressing, so sorry, but every time a, um, every time a building trade, a worker on a construction site dies, which happens actually fairly frequently, um, that we would go to the site and we would have a candlelight vigil and we would go around and like inform the public about what was happening. Um, and most of these, most of the sites where this happens are non-union. Um, the, the union provides obviously like a lot more protections. Um, you can, you know, there's a lot more recourse. You can work with your shop steward to do something about, you know, about a safety violation. You can, um, you don't have to, if they're asking you to do something that's unsafe, you just don't have to do it. Um, so whereas non-union sites, that's, that's very much not the case. So, so we started having these candlelight vigils. Um, we, uh, with the support of Building Trades leadership, we eventually, we held some really big rallies and eventually got some safety legislation passed. Um, it, have, it unfortunately got watered down after it got passed. Um, so it's, it's not quite as strong, but the, it, it basically requires more safety training and puts, puts non-union workers closer to having to go through something that approximates an apprenticeship. Um, so it's, they still don't have to go through an apprenticeship program, but they, they have to meet a bunch of other um, criteria now that means that they have to take more classes. And um, so it, it's not perfect, but it was, a lot of people were mobilized around it. Our biggest rally, we had like 30,000 people out in the street. Um, you know, I, th I think it shows that building trades workers can be, you know, can organize and can be mobilized around some of these things. Um, and the other most recent effort was, um, which I, I, I know some of you have heard of, but um, it's, it was called Count Me In, and it's, um, it was a big fight at Hudson Yards. Um, the developer related was trying to uh, build non-union for the second phase of the project. Um, it's the largest private development in the entire country, so it's a really it's a really big deal if it goes non-union. Um, we had uh, we had first weekly rallies every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. and then eventually it went to twice weekly rallies. Um, did a number of different actions. Um, we were we were in the process of planning a sick out on March 15th. Unfortunately, the, the higher leadership in the building trades um, kind of pulled the plug on that. Um, and we, we basically, in my opinion, got like a half win. We like, um, related came back to the table to negotiate. Some of the trades are now good on it, but it's, it's not in writing that all the trades are good on it. So in my mind, it's not, we didn't force them to an out and out win. Um, yeah, so that, and I'll, I'll end there. But those are some examples, I think, of the ways that building trades, you know, members can, um, can get active around some of this stuff. So, yeah. <laughs>